my name is Esteban Kolsky, and if you don't know me, shame on you, but still, uh, I'm an analyst. I've been an analyst for 15 years. I spent half the time a gardener, the rest of the time on my own. I've been doing customer service related stuff for about 30 years. And uh, I just basically go around the country talking to people and uh, presenting on what I find. I mean, what's going on with customer service? Um, I, I only have 20 minutes or so to go through 18 slides. I'm going to go really, a little quick. So if you get lost somehow, somewhere in the middle, raise your hand. I have absolutely zero train of thought, so you can stop me at any time, and I'll start again from nothing. Uh, and I'll answer any questions if you want as I go along, or I'll answer some questions at the end, whichever you prefer. I have a short time frame afterwards. I need to go back to, to my kids, so I have about a couple hours after that. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually tugging at your heartstrings. He's such a nice dad. He goes back to the kids. You don't know me, but yeah. So anyways, so let's get started with this stuff. Customer service in 2025. What's going to happen in the next 10 years in customer service? First, let's start with like, you know, the most absolute truth that you can actually hear anywhere, uh, well, actually here and nowhere else. Customer service in 2025 is not going to exist. We're not going to have customer service anymore in 10 years. At the pace that we're going, customer service is going to be so bad that nobody's going to want to do it. And the question that I have for you is, are you ready for this? Is your company ready? Are you as a company, as a person, ready to, to do a different way of customer service? What we're doing today, we're doing everything so wrong, and I have the numbers and I have everything they're going to show you, that we cannot continue. It's not sustainable. Customer service, I mean, seriously? Yes, of course I'm serious. I'm very serious about that. First of all, you can never make customers happy no matter what you try. You may make them happy one time, but not the next time, and not the time after that. So aiming to make customers happy is the absolute worst thing that a business can do. It's going to cost you money, time, resources that you don't have to do something that you're not going to achieve. Bottom line is, like, you know, most people cannot make customers happy because they're not really trying to make them happy. You have to, you have to get to the point where you're balanced. It's got to be a win-win situation. Customers need to get what they want, but you also need to keep your, 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 your business sustainable. And at some point, that breaks down very, very quickly. It becomes too expensive to continue what we're doing today for customer service. Customer service were never meant to exist. The only reason we have customer service today is because we move from a production economy to a service economy. And when you're doing a service that is nothing tangible, you need to offer something. And what we offer in exchange for money for service is customer service. And ever since we started 40 years ago, we've been doing a really bad and worse job every single time. And I have the numbers to do this. It's getting too complicated, but more than that, because I don't have a lot of time. Let me go through like, you know, the numbers that I have. Social customer service. How many people like social customer service? No, a few of you. People try Twitter. It's great, right? You go on Twitter, you, you scream, and, and you get answers, right? Okay. No, that's not how it works. Come on. 55% of requests on social, on social channels get ignored. Ignore. Imagine if you don't pick up you know, more than half the phone calls that you get, or you don't answer more than half of the, the, the emails. Or what about if like half the people that come to your store, you, don't, you, don't, you, you ignore them? You don't talk to them. You don't ask them what they need. You don't ask them how you can make them happy. You don't know what the problem is. Of, of those, the, the other that, that actually get addressed, 84% get escalated to another channel. So why would you go on, on Twitter or Facebook or communities or anywhere if you're going to end up on the phone? What's the point of that? You as a company are spending money, time, and resources on something that is not giving you any results. I'm telling you, there's a handful of people that have done great things on social customer service. For the most part, every single company that started that I know is actually getting away from it. I do a survey every single year. In year one, I uh, started about five years ago. Year one, 80% of people were trying customer service through social, Facebook and Twitter. 
Year two, 90% of people. Year three, 70%. Last year, 60%. I do it again this year, I expect to get 40% based on conversations because it really doesn't work. It doesn't offer the benefits. So you can actually grease the squeaky wheel. You can go and talk to the person that is actually complaining on Twitter, but there's no value to that. You much rather create a, generate a good customer service solution through the phone, email, chat, communities, online through self-service, and that's the way to go, online through self-service, and then direct people there and they get the answer. Customers don't want to complain, they want answers. That's the bottom line of customer service. They want an answer. If you create a good system that gives them the answer, then people will not come to you. The only reason people come to you is because they don't have the answer that they need. Further to that, um, you know, 13% of, com of companies say that 25% of one out of every four uh, interactions that they have for customer service is starting a social channel. 72% um, of customer, basic, uh, customer service interactions via Facebook, they're never completed anywhere, period. End of the story. You go to Facebook, you, you talk to a brand and you say, I'm having a problem. One out of four, I mean, one out of four will get an answer, three out of four won't get an answer. And remember, customers are looking for answers. And finally, you know, 67%, two out of three uh, uh, social interactions that start customer service go back to the channel of origin, which is usually the phone, self-service, email, chat, or something else. There's no value to doing social customer service the way we're doing it. There's value to doing it right, but we're not doing it right. And that's the big difference. Every single channel, and I'm gonna say this after every single slide, every single channel that you use has a specific purpose, Every single channel that you use has a way of working. And if you don't use it for that, then you're wasting time and money. And that's what we're doing today with Twitter and Facebook. Let's talk about uh, what I call kumbayatization, right? That's my word, by the way. So, you know, let's talk about communities, right? Everybody's talking about communities. That's the way of the future. It is to a certain extent. Let me ask you a question. When you have a customer service uh, question today, where do you go first? First place that you go. Who goes to Google? Who's the old person that goes to Bing? There's always one. No? <laughs> Okay, the rest of you, we all go to Google, right? And you type a question and you get an answer. And usually you get directed to a community. That's, that's the way the customer service is done for the most part today. So communities, 36% um, of companies deploy communities in the last 12 months. Again, this is coming from my, from my survey from the research that I do. 84% uh, um, uh, you know, quote a, a savings in cost transactions when completing communities. Of course there's a, there's a saving. You as a company have very little to do in communities. You have to make sure that the communities have the right information, but the community takes care of everything. The whole idea of customer service via communities is like, you know, there's a place where people can go, get an answer, get smart people, and then go from there. When uh, Delaware was here earlier, he was talking about subject matter experts and getting to communities and finding the right people to give the right answers. And that's what a community is. It's the people that have the answers reside in one place, you go and find them there. You got everybody who knows anything about it, what you need, and they give you an answer. There's a lot of value in communities. Communities is the ultimate uh, version of customer service. Uh, you probably heard this before, uh, the best customer service is no service at all, right? Meaning that nobody needs customer service. The only way that you do no service is through communities. Because your customers will serve your other customers. Ray was talking about that earlier when he was talking about peer-to-peer -peer networks. We're just trying to get to the point where like, we don't have to provide customer service. Let me, let me tell you a little story. My, my daughter was doing some uh, uh, research for school Okay, I call it research. She did a Google search, but let's call it research. Um, she was doing some research for school, and she wanted to talk about uh, duct tape, right? So she found the, the, the origins of duct tape. You know, duct tape was invented in the, in the, during the Second War, and the, all per the only purpose that it had at the time was to seal the ammunition boxes so the water wouldn't get in. That's it. That's why duct tape was invented. 
which is, do you use duct tape to seal ammunition boxes today? Anybody? No? No? Okay, do you know how many uses there are for duct tape today? If you go to, to 3M or any other site that actually sells duct tape, there's 326 different uses for duct tape. And only one of them is how to seal ammunition boxes. And that's the same, same thing that happens to every single service, every single product. Our customers are far smarter than we are on how to use our products. And they have the answers. We don't have the answers. We have the intended use answers, but not the answers in the real world. So when we build these communities and we actually get the people in there, we actually see how the people that have the answers actually giving the answers to somebody else who needs, who needs them. That's the idea behind communities. The problem that we have with communities today is that we're making it not, not really smart. Um, communities today are, are being done in like, you know, this close environment. We want to control what's being said. If I, if I have an open community, my competitors will come in and spread bad information about us. Blah, 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 blah. That's not true. Communities are self-policed. You will have the right information come to the top and be the right answer for everybody. Yeah, anybody here has an Apple device? I know, you all do. Why would I ask? iPhone, I iPads, uh, you know, MacBooks, anything that you have, Apple, Apple TV. If you go to Apple and you have a question and you go to Google or you go to Apple.com, 90% of your answers will come from a community, not from a person. You won't talk to somebody. You won't pick up the phone and call Apple. If you call Apple support, the experience is so horrible that you will hang up and go to the website to find the information. And every single one of those answers that you get from Apple come from communities. That's the way to do communities. Today, 46, uh, we, we belong to 46 communities on average, 24 of those are online. Contrast that to like, you know, this should be 2014 by the way, sorry, there's a typo. But you know, six years before, we, we belonged to 12 communities, only four went online. In six years, we quadrupled the number of communities that we belong to, and we, we went like, you know, the six times the number of online communities. This is the future, this is where the people reside that have the answers to what we're looking for. Um, Let's talk about uh, omni-channel, another topic, right? Everybody's doing omni-channel here, right? No, less than 1% of people are actually doing omni-channel. Although 97% are investing in omni-channel, only less than 1% of people are doing actually omni-channel service. Because it's hard, because it doesn't work, because it doesn't really, we don't have the technology to make it work. The key to making omni-channel work is to be able to actually keep track of cross-channel interactions. If I start talking to Brent here in person, and then I go online and I look at his blog, and then I go and buy something from an e-commerce site that has his name, that should be all the same interaction. Keeping track of those three pieces of data in one central location today cannot be done. We don't have the technology to do that. We have the understanding, we don't have the technology. So while people are investing, less than 1% of companies are actually doing something with Omnichannel. And from, from those, you know, again, less than 1%, 23% are doing it well, and are doing multi-channel well meaning that they have the, actually the basis for omnichannel. But the second one is the, the one that is really killing me. Cross-channel tracking of data, only 2% of companies are doing that today. Without cr tra tracking data across all the different channels, you cannot do omnichannel. So we don't have the culture, we don't have the understanding, we don't have the technology to do this, so omnichannel really is not gonna work. It's not the answer to the problems that we have. You know, when, when, when people say like, you know, I would like to be able to keep track of everything, what we end up doing is we ended up keeping a, a record of something that happened. So I may have a chat application, and I may have uh, you know, a Twitter application, I may have an e-commerce application, and you come and interact with all three applications, and I take the record of each one of those, and then I put them on my system of record, usually my CRM system, and then I say that I'm doing omnichannel. But now think about, it, think about what happens when you need to access that information in real time. I have one million customers, I have for one million customers, I will have 350,000 interactions on a monthly basis. 
if I need to access any of those online at the same time, I don't have the capability to go and pick up every record, get all the information and everything. I need a consolidated system, and that's what we're missing for, for Avni Channel. Mobile. Everybody loves mobile, right? Mobile first. That's the way to go, right? Well, of course, you know that I'm going to say no, but I mean, I don't want to break the, into the, the suspense. But here's the problem with mobile. Oh, come on. Um, here's the problem with mobile. I have very little time here, I'm, I'm realizing. Um, you know, 59% of customers are adopting mobile technologies worldwide, but only 3% express a preference to use mobile as a way to interact and transact with a, with a, with a company. 3%. So there's a lot of people. I mean, I can give you numbers. You want numbers? Great. There's 8 billion mobile devices in the phone, mobile phones in the phone today in use. There, there's, you know, uh, last year in the United States, we actually became almost like, like most of Europe, and we have more than one mobile device per person on average. In Europe, the mobile adoption is 114%, which means that, you know, on average, most people have more than one device that they use for mobile. We're using mobile devices all, all over the place. We're just not using them for what companies think that it is, which is to interact with companies. And it's easy to actually deceive ourselves because we say, well, what are you talking about? I do that all the time. You know, I, I have all these devices. I have all these apps that I use. Yes, you do. But remember, there's 8 billion people, close to 8 billion people in the world, and there's many, many areas where that doesn't happen. So you cannot take the example of what happens in, in seriously, 10 minutes? You cannot take the example of whatever it is. <laughs> you cannot take the example of what happens in well, like one advanced area and expand it to the whole world. Because when you're building something for customers, your customers are not only the, the, the upworldly mobile people that live in cities, there are a lot of people that you don't know today that are not in the same area. So you cannot say, oh, we're going to go mobile first because, you know, 10% of my customers say that they want mobile. You have to say, I have to build the best system that will support every single one of my clients today and into the future. And that's the difference in how you do it. 15% um, of companies report a success when not taking a mobile-first approach. Not taking a mobile-first approach. They, they, you know, they, this was actually done, I, I talked to a bunch of companies, 40-some uh, companies, that had a project to do, and they made a decision between making mobile-first, or just mobile-first, mobile-only, or making some other decision. 15% of, of, of the ones that went uh, with, with like, you know, a non-mobile-first approach had success. Less than 1% had success in a mobile-first approach. This is a significant difference, okay? This is from last year. This is not from like, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. This is from last year. I don't see this abating any time. I, I see this continuing the way that it keeps going. And then um, only 29% of people today around the world prefer mobile devices to computers. And again, don't think that what we do is like what everybody else does. This is a very common bias in customer service. If we build customer service to what we would should do, then you're gonna fail in most of the times because what we should do, what we would do, is not what our customers do. And that's the key difference in customer, how to build the proper customer service. Ah, the yellow brick road. Uh, customer journey mapping. Everybody loves this, right? Come on, customer journey mapping. 34% of companies have undertaken some form of customer journey mapping. Less than 2% actually reported success. Everybody knows what customer journey mapping is? It's basically when I tell you what you're supposed to do if you wanna talk to me. I tried that with my kids, it doesn't work. I promise you it won't work with your customers either. You can't tell your customers how they need to interact with you. You need to build an infrastructure that allows your customers to do whatever they wanna do. That's the difference. I mean, you can say, yeah, but 90% of my, my clients, you know, like to come to me through the phone, so I'm gonna build a great phone system. Fantastic. What about the other 10%? Well, you know, it can't be that hard. Guess what? Your best customer is part of the other 10%. So what are you gonna do now? You build a journey that your best customer cannot utilize. 
or you build it only for your best customer, you know that the 90%. You cannot assume that your customers will always do the same thing. Uh, let, me, let me give you a really simple example here. Let's say that uh, I, I live in New York City, which I would never do under any circumstances, um, and uh, I go to school in uh, New York University, which would never have me under any other circumstances, so it's kind of like an even match there. Um, and I live about three miles away, right? Every day that I make the decision to go to school, I will have a different way to get there. I mean, I have options every single day. I could take the subway, which is probably what I would do most of the times because it's easier. But one day it's a beautiful day and I'm gonna walk. And then the next day it's getting you know, raining miserably and I'm gonna take a taxi. And then, oh, guess what? My friend came over with a bike and I can use the bike and I'll take a bike or I'll, I'll, I'll do this or I'll do that. Or I'll do a combination. I'll do, there's many opportunities that I have, many different things that I can do every single time to go from my home to school and then back, back home. But a company has no way of knowing each decision that I will make because the decisions are made instantaneously. I overslept, then you know, I'm gonna take a taxi to get there. The problem is when you do customer journey mapping, you're gonna look at the data, you're gonna say, well, guess what? 98% of the time he takes a subway. So we're gonna optimize the journey for the subway. The other 2% that is not optimized, then I don't have an experience like you want me to have. And that 2% that you don't optimize is actually the one that, it's gonna, that you're gonna pay for. It's when customers don't have the right experience, but they expect it to have, to have the right experience, that you're gonna suffer. That's what actually generates customer service inquiries. So if you're gonna do customer journey mapping, you're gonna be targeting like such a small group on the, on the, overall that it's not gonna be at the critical times. It's not gonna be the critical customers. It's not gonna be the critical path. Further on this, only 13% of companies say that customer journey mapping work for them. 72% uh, said that it meets their needs completely. And then 67% of customers express no interest in using a, a, a planned journey for themselves. So you're gonna do it, but two thirds of your customers don't wanna do it anyways. Uh, engagement, I, I don't have the time to go through this, but trust me, this is engagement and that's the formula to calculate it. I promise you. And there's, there's so much I can say about this, but Paul mentioned most of the stuff, but basically, you know, the bottom line is like, you know, if you have good interactions with customers over time, you form a relationship, if you have a relationship with customers over time and you generate the trust, then that turns into engagement. Engagement is an outcome, it's not a metric. There's no way you can measure it, so don't try. And all you can do, this is actually, the reason it has that funny, the Fourier, which is the, the, the funny looking F in front, means that it's a function. Engagement is a function that you can calculate. Knowledge times trust over time generates engagement. If I know you well enough, and I generate enough trust, and you know me well enough, and you generate enough trust, over time that turns into engagement. That's all I can tell you about engagement in the short time that I have. 58% um, of companies are, are doing customer engagement using all sorts of definitions for engagement, but uh, only less than 1% of companies say that they can measure customer engagement. And what they actually measure is how the outcome of engagement affects the rest of the interactions. 91% of uh, non-engaged customers will leave when dissatisfied. So you have to engage your customers somehow. Um, it's six or seven times, you saw the rest of these stats all over the place, basically, right? Uh, but, but here's the one that is actually more interesting. If you know who your customers are and you know what they want, you can, 65% of the times, you can upsell or cross-sell something. If you don't know, only 12% of the times you will do that. So there's money in actually getting engaged with your customers. Um, I have five minutes, so some of the lessons that we learned, and then I have a couple more slides for you, but some of the lessons that we learned, I told you this before, each channel has a specific job that you're gonna use it for. If you're gonna try to use every channel for every job, you're gonna fail. Because you cannot do the same over the phone that you can do over Twitter. Trust me, 
Yes, even with the 10,000 character the direct message limit, that doesn't matter. I mean, it's still, it's still an imperfect medium at best and has many, many problems associated with that. Um, you need to staff properly. You need to get people that understand what you're trying to do, that embrace the culture of the company, and they will do things right. Um, everything that you do needs to be integrated. We were talking about omni-channel. Only way to make it work is to integrate everything. And the most important part is like, you know, empower your agents, but more important than that, empower your users. We very, very often treat customers as if they were like, you know, who was saying before earlier, the guy from Amazon, right? Uh, Jeff said, oh, we treat customers as if they were our guests. That's not the way we treat our customers. We treat our customers like he said also. My business would be so much better if I didn't have customers, right? They're paying that you know what? They are. Customers are a pain. We don't want to have to deal with them. But if you empower your users, if you give them automated tools, if you give them self-service, if you give them the ability to find the answers, they will never bother you. They want answers. They don't want your time. They don't want to bother you. They don't want you to tell them anything. They want you to actually give them the answer before they need it. Proactive customer service, the wave of the future, works. All three people who did it will tell you that. That's a joke. Come on. Jeez. Ah, okay, so iterate, test, pilot, try, blah, 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 blah. Everything you do needs to be measured. Your mileage will vary. If it worked for me, more than likely it won't work for you because we have different companies, we have different cultures, we have different attitudes, and we have different customers. My customers' expectations from me are different than your customers' expectations from you. Even though we, are, we may be doing the same product and we may be competing, expectations is actually how you manage customers, customer relationships. And you're going to set your expectations, I'm going to set my expectations. And because they're going to be different, the mileage will vary. What I can get away with in customer service, more than likely you won't. Because I'm a really bad person for customer service, and you're really good at customer service. So, and finally, yeah, cloud. End of the story. That's, that's the bottom line. Everything you do needs to be on the cloud. And the reason why, oh, look at that. One of my famous uh, bubble charts. I have this all over the place. Notice the color, the complexity of the color, right? All the bubbles properly sized and everything. This is what I do, this is, this is my job, is making these charts. But anyways, uh, and my brother's a designer. Every time he sees one of these, or a heart attack, so. But anyways, so here's, here's the, common, the, the, the sense about how to build it. If you need to build customer service in the cloud, which you do, this is what you should do. It's very simple. It's about you know, tr t creating uh, services. For, I'm trying not to get too, like, you know, down into the technology uh, trenches here. But it's about like, you know, breaking it down into smaller pieces and having one piece that, that reflects every single part that you need. You need to do, deal with your agents, agent management services. Everything that you do, scheduling and agent management and HR and everything else, we go there. Then you know, case management and then channel management, information management and all this stuff. I mean, it's basically like, you know, you cannot deliver this model if you don't have a cloud that you're running in. And, and a cloud is only an, a public cloud, by the way. If you ever, anybody ever tells me that it's a hybrid or, or private, you know, I'm not gonna be happy. But we're going to skip that. But in a public cloud, you can build this. And not only can you build this, but you can actually pick for every single one of these boxes. You can pick a different vendor, a different provider, or even some Joe no-name working out of his garage. If they do the best job that you need for directory management, you can use it. That's what you need to build a cloud-based model. And I know that I only have like you know, two more minutes. So what I'm going to do is going to tell you that I'm going to answer your questions now. And I confuse you enough. And you guys are all going like, you know, what the hell did you just say in the last 25 minutes? I don't know. So guess what? This is your chance to ask questions. Thank you for listening, and thank you very much. And you didn't think you could do it all in 25 minutes, huh? Oh, it's a two-hour presentation, by the way. So. Next <laughs> time. so. 
Um, any questions, anybody? I know that I covered a lot of things and threw a lot of numbers and data and uh, uh, controversial statements, so I'll be glad to take any questions. Some of you were even paying attention and nodding along, so feel free to uh, ask any questions. No, nobody? Come on. That's one over there. Dilawar, my friend. I'll get it, I'll get it. Hold on. I need Phil Donahue to go over there. No, no, we need, we need Phil Donahue because we are recording it, so he wants to get there. Okay, everybody got the joke about Phil Donahue, right? If you did and you're too young. So, so we were chatting about your mobile data that yeah. you, that you put out there, a couple of us. And frankly, I was a little struck when I saw your stats that, I don't know, very low percentage of people expect uh, that they found mobile useful in, in engaging with brands and that like 29% or 30% of the people would prefer global devices to computers. Yes. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> 29% of people prefer uh, mobile devices. To but but let, me, let me put it in context. Uh, if you look at smartphones, because when you say mobile devices, in this context, we're we talking about smartphones. Smartphones, their adoption curve has just come online, if you will, in the last very few years globally. Yeah. You're comparing this to computers or PCs, they've been around for 30 years. So if in a matter of couple of years, we get to this point, that is a very different picture than saying people don't like devices. If this is where we are stuck in the, the, 20 years, sorry. then I hear you. So I, I want to see sort of where you're getting this from because um, I think I, I would disagree that so, we shouldn't be building for the mobile first world. Uh, so, so thanks for the question. Uh, there's one misconception, my perspective, so you know that I'm always wrong anyways, but there's one misconception what you do, which is like saying, yeah, we only had, what was it, like uh, eight years now, eight and a half years that smartphones, right? The first one was introduced in 2000. Seven, I think, the first iPhone. So, uh, you know, we had eight and a half, nine years of smartphones versus, like, you know, decades for computers. True, but there's a comparable number of smartphones to computers. That's number one. I mean, I'm not saying that it's the same number, but it's a comparable number of smartphones to computers. Number two, when you take this globally, when you go outside of, like, you know, the established, uh, you know, we are, we are, like, you know, technology uh, advocates and, and early adopters and everything, People still don't, don't, don't prefer them. That's number two. Number three is like, you know, when people have problems, when people have problems, we still are not at the point. And it's really hard, to, it's really easy to get biased because of our experiences, right? I mean, come on, I have, a, I have three smartphones that I use at different times for different re reasons. I never have one that is not in my hand, I except for now that I'm presenting, okay? You ask my kids, you ask my girlfriend, you ask anybody who knows me, they're like, you know, you ask me a question, if I don't have the answer, I pull up the phone and I have the answer for you right away. That's, that's what I do. And it's really easy to get biased in the fact that because that's what I do, that's what everybody else does. But the majority of the world still not into the concept that the smartphone is, is more than, than, than what it should be. That's why we have the 30%. Now the part that is not there is that that statistic is growing dramatically. That statistic a year before was 12%. It wouldn't serve me well because it doesn't go to my argument, but you know. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, the statistic keeps growing. And, and what, what, you, what you should have said, instead of like, you know, we have only eight years, you should say that the adoption curve for smartphones, it's a hockey stick curve. It's just going almost straight up these days, especially in places like Africa, places like, you know, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Africa, it's incredible. The entire infrastructure is being built on smartphones and mobile devices, right? But when you look at also, there's one more thing, and, and I get off, there's one more thing. When you look at how many people actually have access to 3G or higher speeds, which is actually what you need for smartphones, most of the world is still running on 2G and, and, and few 3G. So we don't have the bandwidth yet, it's, I, I don't have the chart here, but I promise you, I just had it last week. Right, but the, the, point, the point is like, you know, it's really easy to get biased towards like, you know, what we see as working and being cool and like, you know, that, that, that there's a few case, case studies that say that is good, but 
I don't believe in mobile first. I believe in customer first, where mobile may be one of the solutions. But if you're going to go mobile, you need to do something completely different than what you're doing everywhere else. You can't just replicate your customer service solution in mobile because that, that's not innovative. That's just basically doing the same mistake that we always made, which is like every channel should be the same. So if you pick mobile for customer service, pick the, the case study, the use cases that is like, you know, relevant to mobile and build applications that are completely different from everything else you do. And then you actually, then we start talking about how mobile first will succeed. So I don't know about the time, nice. but thank you very much. Or thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, the mic.